Hello, and welcome to Conversations About Cancer. Today, Shay and I talk with Cindy. Cindy and I worked together about 20 years ago. About 15 years ago, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. This has been quite a journey for her. It involved uh, multiple therapies of, of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. It involved multiple relapses. And then about 11 years ago, she did some research looking at what was being done with clinical trials and came up with a therapy that she proposed to her doctor. Her doctor agreed, and they used Avastin in combination with chemotherapy. This worked, and she's been cancer-free for 11 years. This story covers what it's like to be a mother of two children diagnosed with a serious cancer, how you deal with that, how you work with your family and, and find joy in the midst of all this difficulty. It talks, she talks about radiation, and she talks about how she went about coming up with this ther therapy of Avastin and how she got it implemented. It's a story of hope, inspiration, and perseverance. We hope you find it interesting, and let's go ahead and start talking with Cindy. Good morning, Shay. Good morning, Rick. Today we've got Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Rick. <laughs> so um, Cindy and I worked together um, maybe about 20 years ago, and then she had a journey about, I guess, uh, 10, 15 years ago that involved cervical cancer. And uh, we're happy to talk to Cindy because she's got a, a pretty, pretty interesting so story to tell. So, okay. Cindy, can you kind of kick it off and just say kind of what happened and when and you know how you went from not having cancer to cancer and just give us a story? Yeah, sure. So um, it was it was actually May. I remember that my daughter was. We were just getting ready for my daughter's eighth graduate eighth grade graduation, and I went in to see the doctor because I had had bleeding, just odd bleeding that hadn't stopped. Interestingly enough, I'd been in, I forget if it was three or six months earlier, you know, for a normal gynecological appointment where they do um, pap smears and test all that. And um, I, had, I had just basically had a recent pap smear that tested me negative for cervical cancer, right? And How old were you at the time, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, uh, let's see. I, I was in my... 40s. So, oh. mm -hmm. yeah. So I was, I was about mid 40s, I guess, at that point, early mid 40s. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, you know, it, it, he said, oh, you know, it's probably nothing, but we'll, we'll take a pap smear and see what happens. Meanwhile, he, uh, this was my gynecologist I went to. And then he was on vacation, and I went back, I had to get the results from the other from a doctor that was covering for his practice. And I can remember this. I went in there and he, with no preamble or anything, he says, you have cancer. What? Yeah. The guy was pretty much an asshole. No kidding. And, you know, I'm just left floored. And because I'm just, sure you weren't expecting that answer. No, exactly. And not for, and, and from a total stranger, right? Completely. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't even remember everything else that he said, but it was kind of, you know, well, you need to get back together with your doctor and figure out what to do, right? 
And I just left the building and sat outside and just kind of cried and managed to call my husband and, you know, just kind of blurted it out. I have cancer and it's, and I was just, I was just pretty much paralyzed with fear at that point, you know, all the uncertainty. So, um, Rick knows my personality type. We're all kind of these type A personalities. And so you kind of just take a deep breath and figure out, okay, well, what can I do about it? So sorry about that. (laughs) Never never be sorry about a dog. (laughs) But, uh, so I, I ended up, uh, you know, finding, uh, getting recommended to the specialist and, and, you know, he made me feel better about it that, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do. I recommend a radical hysterectomy. Um, and you know, it was supposed to be not so bad. So, so at this stage, was it, um, was there any imaging or was it just the pap smear? It was just the pap smear. Uh huh. And, and, uh, I, well, was it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think I'd had any other imaging at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, with just the pap smear, they were recommending a, a, a treatment plan already. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the time horizon between, you know, doctor you've never met before abruptly telling you you have cancer um, and then you actually talking with the, I'm assuming it's the a gynecologic oncologist. Yes. Yes. It was, it was not too many weeks. I think it was only a matter of a couple weeks or so. And were you the kind of person who was like doing your own kind of, you know, internet research and figuring it out? Or were you, what was that like for you, that chapter? Uh, definitely. I, I was, you know, doing my, my own internet, uh, research at that point. And you were a braver person than I, I was too terrified to do that. Well, you know, in, in, in the case for, for my cancer, it was, you know, this is very survivable. I think, okay. I, th- I think it was actually like 95% of people, you know, if you're going to have cancer, uh, the, the attitude I had at that point was if I'm going to have cancer, this is a good one to have because it's, you know, very survivable. And, right. and the, the other attitude I went in with is let's just throw, throw the big guns at it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Not, let's not mess around here. Yeah. So when he said, um, you know, let's do a radical hysterectomy in case those who don't know what that means, it's not just a normal hysterectomy just takes, you know, your, your uterus radical hysterectomy also takes part of the vagina. So they take, they lop off the top part of that as well. Just it's radical. Yep. So, um, and then they followed with, um, full pelvic radiation. Mm. So, um, you know, you, you go in there and you get your tattoos and you get fitted for the little, for the little contraption, you stick your hips in and, uh, <laughs> you, you go in there and get zapped every so often. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it it wasn't so bad. I have to tell you, you know, the, the, the surgery and all of that, I think I really tolerated it very well. But what was scary after that is it's only like less than six months. I developed this, um, lump on my left hip, like kind of right over the hip bone and it hurt and it was odd. And I thought, you know, this isn't right. Oh my God, is this the cancer coming back? And so I made an appointment. I went back to see my uh, gynecological oncologist and 
he said, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's not how this cancer, um, comes back. You know, that's, that's, it's probably nothing. I'm like, well, uh, just cut it out right now. You know, cause I thought it was very close to the surface, you know? So mm-hmm. just, just take it right now. He's like, uh, no, I can't do that in the office. Let's take you for a PET scan and, you know, really check what's going on. Well, sure enough, we did a PET scan and I had a tumor not only on the hip, but in, in my groin, in my lower left groin. And that's when I really got freaked out, right? So was this the first imaging that they did for you? I, you know, I think it was. I maybe, uh-huh. you know, they probably did a CAT scan the first time. I, I don't remember. But, uh, yeah. but you know what? They pro- I probably did go for a CAT scan. Uh-huh. I, I, but it's, it's uh, it, yeah, but it's, it, it's interesting that the treatment, the path that they went down basically assumed a stage one cancer, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, the, the staging was only done after, you know, that's how they could tell me it was a late stage one. Um, but, oh, you mean when he first talked to me? Well, I think when they first saw it, you know, based on the pap smear and probably the scan, you know, I probably did have a scan. It's just been a long time. Um, uh-huh. and so many scans <laughs> Yeah, that, right. uh, you know, they must've thought that cause he, he did a, um, he did the procedure laparoscopically. Right. And, um, uh-huh. you know, it was, it was minimally invasive and, you know, the, when they did, when they did the analysis of the tissues, you know, how far had it gone, you know, it had just, it was, you know, it's just starting to get beyond, it was almost to stage two, late stage one. So that's, that's uh, why they decided to go with the full pelvic radiation just to, Hey, you know, in case there's anything still there, let's mop it up. Like an insurance, an insurance policy. Exactly. Cause you know, they do only the area where it was cause they didn't think it had spread yet. And they just wanted to make sure they, you know, kind of nuked any remaining mm-hmm. cells that might be there. Mm-hmm. And so at one point you're thinking, okay, I have, if I'm going to get cancer, I got the best, you know, the best type in the sense that it's treatable and I'll just go through this, you know, not so fun chapter, but as soon as it's over, I can kind of put it behind. Exactly. And then less than six months later, life was like, guess what? Next chapter. Yeah. And I, I think at that point, I, I, that, that's the point where, um, I, um, I, I really needed some help from a emotional point of view. Completely. And um, so I, I actually started seeing this therapist that my, my girlfriend who has uh, chronic lymphatic leukemia went to. And this, this woman was awesome. And I think of everybody that I talked to from an emotional point of view of having this disease, she, she provided the best help. Because like I was saying, when you first, when I first said I, I had the diagnosis and I felt paralyzed, I felt the same way. I was just, you know, we're people of action. What do you do? You know, and I, I'm a planner and I, what am I, you know, I, I want to be there when my kids are, are doing their things. I want to, I want to support my family. I, I have all these things to do. And all of a sudden this wrench gets uh, thrown into your plans. And I was so afraid. And, and I, 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 
I let my emotions just completely took over. And, and she taught me how to meditate for one thing. Um, but the philosophy she gave me and, you know, here, here we are, I know Rick, you're, you're, you're where it's raining, but right now I'm sitting here on this, on this beautiful patio with the sun shining, um, gorgeous weather. And she said, what does, what does your cancer have to do with this moment today? Right. Hmm. And if you, you know, so I started, I started doing this kind of mindful living in the moment. You know, I've got a great family. My kids are great. Um, you know, I had a good job. I had people that supported me. Um, and I started turning it around to being afraid to actually, as crazy as it sounds, being grateful. Yeah. You know, grateful for the time that I had and how lucky I am. And, and a lot of times I'd finish my meditations and tears would be streaming down my face, but it wasn't from anger or fear or being upset or anything like that. I actually was just grateful. And it's, it's the craziest thing when you hear about it. Oh, you got cancer again and you're grateful, but, but yeah. And, and it's the same thing. uh, You know, they talk about uh, doing what you can control. Right. Uh, Sure. So I had to, what I did is I would visualize the things that were upsetting me and, you know, your mind is, at least my mind is always chattering and talking away. And so I would, I would recognize those feelings and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm freaked out right now. I'm scared. And then I just kind of acknowledge that thought or that feeling and then just visualize myself kind of pushing it away. Yeah. But it doesn't have anything to do with right now, you know, and, and that way I could just concentrate on what I can control and, you know, what I was doing in the moment and just try and have a really strong, positive attitude. You know, I don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I don't know if I'm still going to be here, but I'm going to be here right now. Right. And. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful lesson for everybody, right? Mm. It's not just if you happen to have a disease like cancer. I mean, the truth is we all have an expiration yeah. date and none of us really know when it is. Exactly. And, <laughs> and if you, uh, if you don't allow yourself to really enjoy the living that you've got while you've got it you know it's it's a tragedy if exactly you don't. so and and another kind of um interesting side effect that i really didn't expect is seeing how empathetic it ended up making my children mm-hmm. because how mm-hmm. interesting how well, old they, they were in sixth and eighth grade when i went through this and you know, I'm not going to kid you. I got, I got really sick. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. after, so just to give you kind of a top, top view of what happened after this. So I got those, those two, those two, um, additional lumps, masses, uh, taken out. And then I did shaped radiation with chemo, which made me lose all my hair. And, you know, I got, I got very, very thin. And then it was pretty much, you know, it was always within six months or a year or something like that, that, 
it would recur. So I had that, went through that. We thought, okay, you know, we're going to be okay. And then I got another tumor. And it's interesting. Each time I knew something was wrong and I would go in. So that's another lesson I think is listen to your body and don't, don't let your doctor tell you it's in your head. Because again, he didn't Mm -hmm. think that that was cancer, but I, I pushed and I said, you know, let's, let's check it. And so he, he, the other thing is that the relationship with my doctor really became a very close relationship because he realized that, you know, I'm not hysterical. Um, I'm, I'm serious about what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not a hypochondriac or anything like that. And he learned to trust what I was feeling and saying. And, and I, I think if you're going to be managing your relationship with your doctor, they're, they're just like anybody else. If you go to them, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And you know, every time something's weird, right. Um, they're, they're also going to kind of stop listening to you. Right. And, and, yeah, and that's a, but that's a that's a hard thing to do when you've got something like cancer. I mean, I I know from my own experience, after I was first diagnosed and treated, every uh, certainly for the first year, every every little back pain or something, I had a I had a irrational concern that that was cancer when in fact it was just you know just a right. back pain. Right, um, right. How, how how did you go about separating real problems from? imagine problems in your own mind as you were listening to the uh, body? I think for me it was, you know, I didn't have anything that would last that, it, you know, if, if it was just a twinge, it's not like I freaked out about it. But if something persisted, you know, for longer than a week or two, then, then I started thinking, you know, this may be something. But I think it was also an attitude of how you discuss the things with the doctor, right? And, right, and, right. And, and they, they, they're just people too. They want to work with, they want to work with reasonable people, right? They, they have to work with all kinds of people. But it's just like when I'm managing relationships with people I work with, right? You want to you wanna work with them so that you get the best out of them. And it's it's hard because you know you're you're scared and all of that, right? But I I still think it's really important that you manage your relationship with your doctor too, so that you can get the best. Mm-hmm. They're they're just a person. They're not a god. They're not infallible, right? So so yep. I, I know it's really hard when and all of that, but you know, I I I just tried to have the best logical conversations that I could with them. That's but I think good. it's a, it's an interesting distinction between whether or not you, it's not whether or not you talk to them about it. It's how you talk to yeah. them about it. I think I, I, I don't know if it's a gendered thing, but I, I know I catch myself talking myself out of asking, mm. you know, like for a scan or things because I don't want to quote unquote be a bother or seem unreasonable. Uh, and I don't know if that's just a, you know, because I'm a woman, I've been trained to always be pleasant or not be, you know, too demanding or what. But I, I catch myself being like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I do the same thing. It, it's, uh, it, it, I think it definitely is a gender thing because um, it, it's a, you want to please people. You want people to like you, you. You know what I mean, right? You don't. Um, totally. But I, but I think 
for the record, I really don't care if anybody likes me. <laughs> well, we've always known that about you, Rick. Yeah. But I yeah. think I think just given the kind of work that I've had, I've actually tried to turn that to my advantage because um, a, a lot of the positions I've been in, I, I've had people that necess- didn't necessarily directly report to me. And so I learned to kind of change how I how I interact with people based on how I'm going to get the best kind of reaction or result out of them. Right. So, so trying to figure out how to motivate people and that's that, you know, speaking of interacting with other people, that was kind of another side effect of, of this disease and this whole philosophy of living in the moment, um, in between all of these, um, uh, uh, I actually ended up, uh, I, I would do flying a lot. I would, I would fly down to offices and, and, uh, I always made sure that everybody I interacted with, I started just looking them in the eye and thanking them and, you know, taking this whole gratitude thing and living for the moment really, really made a difference for me. And, you know, I started having gate agents that would greet me, you know, <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, I'd go to the hotel and they'd be, Oh, hi. And I, you know, it, it made such a difference that way as well. Anyway, but, um, back to my children about, you know, the whole empathy thing, you know, they, they saw how I was dealing with disease and honestly, I, I, I really tried not to wallow, you know, there were times, obviously, when I was sick and I couldn't get out of bed, but I, I talked to them about it and I didn't hide things from them. But I said, you know, I don't, I don't plan on not making it through this, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I love you and we'll, we'll get through this. And they ended up, they'd, they'd come and they'd bring me food or um, you know, water or whatever I needed at the time. And they'd be super quiet when I wasn't feeling good. And I just saw them change from, you know, kids are kind of selfish when they're, when they're little or especially when they turn into teenagers, but they, they just ended up such empathetic, caring people. It, it really made me proud, but you know, it was a side Mm -hmm. effect of having this disease. Um, but it also gave me an opportunity to show them how you could deal with something with grace and um, maybe give them a kind of blueprint for how to deal with things. Because I talked about this whole living in the moment and, you know, being grateful and how you can take how you can use some of these techniques to kind of push away the, the fears and the anxieties that you have to kind of power through things. And uh you know, then there's, of course, my husband, who's so wonderful. It, you know, having, having a support system is so important. It is, but, yeah. um, but I have to tell you, you know, the, 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 the third and fourth or whatever occurrences, by that time you're kind of getting, really? <laughs> Again? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but now, so you had... Uh, how many recurrences did you have? Like I four? had three <laughs> recurrences and it, it was a rough journey because the, so the first two surgeries were just, you know, surgery and radiation. The third surgery was a bear. I had a tumor way down on my pelvic floor. 
right next to the descending mm-hmm. colon. And, you mm-hmm. know, this, this is the time where I went and I got the uh, uh, second opinion over at Stanford. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody agreed with getting surgery. And then the, the Stanford Surgery Center, they, they have <clears throat> one or two special ORs where during surgery they can actually um, do targeted radiation. So um, I did not end up doing that mostly because I couldn't get in, right? My physician, you know, while he has privileges at Stanford, you know, he, that is a a very highly desirable OR and you, it's hard to get bookings there if you're not, you know, a regular or a, you know, he's just like a visiting physician there. Right. Um, (laughs) but uh, you know, he worked with my radiation oncologist at, at El Camino. And um, this was a crazy surgery. Um, the guy is fabulous. I think it was like three hours. He went in and he found the tumors and they were, you know, not in good places. He ended up taking out 10 inches of descending colon right there, um, attaching it back up. So that's uh, anastomosis, they call it. And took that tumor, took another tumor. And, um, then what they did is they, they inserted a, a kind of tube so that they could do what's called brachytherapy, which is where you, they put beads of radiation on a wire and then they string it down in there. So you go like one or two times a day. Um, and they, 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 uh, hook, basically hook that tube. It has a kind of interlock system on it. And then the radiation comes out of its special shielded box and goes down into you for a specified amount of time. And then it retracts. And, um, so there I am, um, with my anastomosis and they also gave me an ileostomy, which is like a colostomy, but it's on your, on your, what they did is they kind of looped the, where it goes from your small intestine to your large intestine up through your belly and then attach a bag to it because they wanted to not have anything be going through my um, large intestine. That makes so, sense. So yeah, I'm bagged. Mm-hmm. I've got these other, you know, tubes in me. Oh, by the way, there was another tube where, and this is where he got really creative. He put a, um, there. It sounds oh, pretty creative more. already. Uh, so there's a, <laughs> a, a, a device, which is a kind of a, uh, bulb that they usually blow up with a syringe when a woman is having trouble hemorrhaging after a pregnancy, after a, um, after a delivery, right? So they insert that, the balloon pushes up against the uterus to try and stop the bleeding. Well, he took one of these devices, put it into my abdomen so he could blow that up to move the intestine out of the way so that it would be away from the radiation, right? So to try and not damage... Um, your, yeah, your yeah, exactly. Tissue. Cause I'd already yeah. had radiation. Right. And by the mm-hmm. way, my Mets, all the, all the recurrences were outside of, of each individual radiation area. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to yeah. ask about so, that. Okay. Uh, you know, it's funny. I had my gynecologist, my, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, radiologist, radiological oncologist and the gynecological oncologist in there. And I know my gynecologist came out and he said, oh, my God, that that was what that guy did was just amazing. So 
I was mm-hmm. super lucky. Um, just as a, a yeah. funny story to give you some insight into my frame of mind. Um, after- and not to go into all of the details, but it sounds like each time you had a recurrence, you would have to surgically respond and then respond with radiation yeah. and maybe well, so, chemo? Yeah, so the first or, time was okay. surgery and radiation. The second time was surgery, radiation, mm-hmm. chemo. Uh, the second time. The third time was surgery, brachytherapy, uh, and I did, I think in that case, we did not do... I don't think I did chemo that time. No, I didn't. And then the fourth okay. time, um, I basically had another met that echoed the one that was down in my pelvis, which was bad because at that point I'm not, I'm not a surgical candidate anymore. Uh, because Why not? Uh, I've had so much radiation and so much uh, surgery and scar tissue that if you, he says the tissue is just friable. You go in there, it's going to fall apart. So, uh, I oh. went, I, I did have another one on my belly that he was able to get out cause it was more surface. And so they ended up taking, uh, uh, some of my, um, abdominal muscles. So I'm a little funky looking now. <laughs> it's like having a mm. giant hernia because <laughs> there's nothing there to hold mm-hmm. it in. But, um, uh-huh. The, uh, in between that, I had, uh, a really, uh, probably the low point, the lowest point of all of this, if you can believe that there's a lower point. Um, it was six or six or eight months after I had the ileostomy. And at this point it's like, okay, you know, we're good to, we're good to get the, uh, ileostomy taken down so I can go back to not pooping in a bag. Right. And I was so excited about it. And we went in and we had this surgery. And after the surgery, I, my belly, it looked like I was pregnant. And they couldn't figure out what the heck was wrong with me. They brought in infectious disease. They thought maybe I had some kind of superbug. And they're pumping me full of antibiotics. And I'm in so much pain. I, I actually don't remember uh, a lot of that time. There were friends that came to visit that I don't remember. Um, apparently, I also mm-hmm. still had my cell phone and I was still trying to conduct business. And I actually had a business call that mm-hmm. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, you must have been on some pretty I, good drugs. I remember then. my husband, uh, after the fact, he told me that uh, mm-hmm. he just told uh, my girlfriend, uh, don't worry, I'm just not charging her phone eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it'll go away. But uh but yeah. But um before I did that surgery, I I um you know, I was born at El Camino Hospital too, which is kind of funny. And had my kids at El Camino Hospital. Wow. So, I've had and I had the only other surgery I'd had before that, well I'd had two actually, two other surgeries there. I had a, an appendix out and a gallbladder removal. And so, I was joking that, you know, I should get a frequent flyer card. So, so I actually went and Photoshopped one and, you know, Uh kind of like, you know, (laughs) buy, buy one, you know, stay, stay, stay nine times your 10th is free. Yeah. Yeah. Like a sandwich card. And I I put the little things that you'd have to like, you know, 
put the, you know, had the, the little hole punch out the sides, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, there's, there's really a lot of opportunity for some dark humor in the middle of all this stuff. And oh yeah. Humor just so helps, I walk in right? there cause by then, you know, the, and also I, I didn't, I was getting my stents replaced a lot. Right. Cause, um, uh, I have, uh, I'm actually permanently stented in my ureters because the, of the radiation, my ureters leak. And that's actually what ended up happening uh-huh. with me in the hospital. It was actually, a, I had a fungal infection because urine was leaking into my abdomen, which they finally figured out. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, oh, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, so, so I go in there and, um, they, they've seen me before, except this, in most of the most of the people, when you go to pre-op, on, it used to be on the second floor of El Camino Hospital on the old part. But I, I'd go in there, and you'd usually back then you'd go the day before, and you'd you talk with the surgical nurse about you know what what kind of drugs are you on, um, you know all the all the pre-op questionnaire kind of stuff. And at that point, I I whipped out my card and I said, "Is this a time that I would redeem this?" And the nurse looks at it and she's looking at it and I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable, right? Because she's just kind of looking at it, looking at it. And I said, you do know that's a joke. And she just goes, oh, man, I've been gone for two weeks. Who knows what the hell they implemented while I was gone? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty so funny. I ended up taking, taking a, a, another one into the OR. That was another thing I do is uh, a lot of people are scared of the OR. I'm very interested and I always want to go in and talk to people before I'm put down and uh, put under, I should say, not put down. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I, I gave him the card and, you know, so there's a big old chuckle in the OR and, and uh, he, he tucked it into his, the pocket of his scrubs. And apparently the surgery was so complex that he sweat through mm-hmm. the, uh, the scrubs. It was a three-hour surgery, and uh, and uh, so I wow. had to print him a new one. But that's a, I guess you know, just talking about that humor. Humor does go a long way. It's it, it's, <laughs> it's helpful. It's part of life. You don't want to lose. You don't want to lose humor. Even apparently, though bad, bad I was kind of out of it. You know? This was in the takedown surgery that I had, um, and and they they had wheeled me up on a gurney and you know you're kind of half with it half not with it and they said well we're sorry you know your room isn't available so we're going to have to just park you here in the hall until it's available and apparently mm-hmm. i turned to them and said that's okay i'm a patient patient <laughs> uh-huh that's funny so, so, so i'm curious Cindy, you have you're saying in you know the, the third time and the fourth time what what was the the time frame in between each of these? And are you starting to get into a mindset of like this is just going to be uh, my life forever now? Um, or like it, what they was were that pretty like? Frequent. It was every six six to twelve months, uh, something would happen, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's why I'd say the whole meditation and thinking positively is really all I could go back to. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. I I never really succumbed to the I'm going to die. I I just said, "You know mm-hmm. what? I'm going to do everything I can." And it the only time I really thought, "Oh my god, I might die," was when I had the takedown and I was in the hospital for a month. And I can still remember the doctor mm-hmm. coming in and saying, "You know, if if this is a a bowel 
uh, leakage. There's really nothing we can do for you. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, did I just kill myself getting this thing reversed? And it wasn't, you know, because it, it wasn't really the cancer at that point. It was like a decision I had made to have this, you know, yeah. Right. Um, the and then even yeah. when it came back after that, it was, okay, um, I'm just not going to let this kick my ass. I'm going to, you know, and that's when I had the Avastin. And so, so yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you've, you, you've been, you've, you were you were diagnosed, you're going through treatment, you're getting recurrence, more treatment, recurrence, more treatment. And then you made it, you, you made a decision with Vastin that yes. really changed your so, life. Right? That was a lot of internet research and looking for clinical trials and reading okay. about, about the drugs. Uh-huh. And, um, interestingly enough, I wrote my own appeal for the, um, I, for the, I guess it's the uh, state. In, you, you appeal to the insurance company first if you want an off-label um, drug, mm-hmm. and then they they refuse that within 24 hours. No, nope. you know I think it was the rubber stamp of approval of disapproval, and then and then you right. appeal to the so, state. So, so from a from a time frame standpoint, from first diagnosis to when you're you've done your research and you've decided that you want to use Avastin which is not an approved mm-hmm. drug for your cancer how uh, much time passed there I think it was only it was only a few weeks because um it, no, oh, no no first, first, first from, from your first oh. diagnosis including uh, all of the re, re, yeah four years four years and then when you, dis- you did some research and you figured out that you wanted to use Avastin, how did you go about that research and how did you come to the conclusion that Avastin? Uh, well, I, I obviously talked with my physician and, you know, he was saying that there might be some clinical trials. So he was doing, so we went in, we got the diagnosis, you know, we, we figured out what was going on that we'd have to make a decision. So he, he talked to a bunch of his colleagues, right? And um, he said, you know, there are mm-hmm. potentially some clinical trials. And and he also encouraged me to look around. And I was looking around. And um, I, I went to the, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while now, but uh, I went to the place online where you can look at clinical trials and the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. I yeah, believe it's called exactly clinicaltrials.org. Yeah. I think it is. And yeah. I also yeah. read scientifically about how all these drugs worked. So for me, I was also into the whole biology of it, the biochemistry. Um, and it, it's, it's been mm-hmm. such a long time, but I, I know that Avastin worked differently than the other drugs. And so from a, from a logical point of view, it's the, the, the chemo, the, the platinum drugs that I was on, have a different effect on the cells than the biologicals do. The biologicals, um, they attack the microtubules that allow the, um, the framework for the uh, DNA to separate, right? Because when, when the cells want to separate, the microtubules are the things that pull the DNA apart so that it can separate into the two parts, right? And 
from a logical mm-hmm. point of view, I'm thinking, okay, I've had this chemo and I've had similar chemo, which was uh, uh, topotecan and cisplatinum. And I'm thinking, well, obviously, you know, the chemo was supposed to do the mop-up of any stray cells, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. whatever is still in my system must be chemo-resistant at this point. And so it made logical sense to me that we try something else that would have a different physical effect on it. And of course. So I, I actually wrote the paper myself, the, the appeal. And uh, my doctor was joking that maybe I should get you to write these always for me. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh-huh. I, I... So, I mean, it, it, it probably helps that you've got a master's degree oh, in engineering from Stanford, right? Only I mean, a bachelor's, but... Oh, but, only a bachelor's, okay. But, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. But, but my, my, yeah, my, my point in raising that is for people that are listening, I mean, you've, you know, you are a, you're, you're an engineer in training. Um, you know how to do the research right. and you know how to put forth an argument for, for a, a, a position on things. Not everybody that is listening has that same capacity, yes, but maybe they absolutely. have a friend that does. Um, and I know that I've, I've advocated for other people as well. Right. So, um, yeah, but the, I think the real lesson here is you've been going down this path. They've been using a set of treatments. These treatments of chemotherapy and radiation have a particular mechanism on the, on the tumors right. that is no longer being effective. And so you're looking at this saying, I want to find a therapy that has a different mechanism that basically the cancer hasn't seen yet. And, and hopefully it'll right. be, it'll, it'll be effective. And, and that's really right. what you what you did. I mean, we don't know 100% because they still gave me the platinum drug with the Avastin, but, you know, it uh-huh. was the, mm-hmm. the, the different variable, right? That was the changed variable. Right. Yeah, so you, you've come up with a treatment plan. This is actually very similar to, to Shay's path. You've come up with a treatment plan through your own research that you th- mm-hmm. think can, can be helpful. Right. It is not an approved treatment plan. And you've gone to the insurance and they said, ah, we're not going to pay for that. And then you had to make an appeal to the state or uh, what's well, this what, appeal for? Why, why do, who has to say yes or no? And, and, and how does that work? And then what does uh, that mean for the, the doctor? Could the doctor could give therapy? me the therapy. He could make the prescription. The deal was is that it was really, really expensive. And so... Um, Initially, when he, when he writes the order and you go and try and get, usually you have to get your treatments approved by insurance before you have your treatment, right? And so he sends that in and they reject mm-hmm. it. Uh, we're not going to pay for that. And so mm-hmm. you, at that point, you have mm-hmm. the opportunity to write an appeal or the, actually the physician does. You know, here's, here's why I want to mm-hmm. use this treatment, even though it's not, you know, on the approved list of drugs for this particular cancer and, you know, citing these clinical trials and results and things like that. And interestingly enough, you know, they say Mm -hmm. that they have a, a physician who reviews these things, but I don't see how they could Mm -hmm. review it in less than 24 hours. I'm virtually certain it was a rubber stamp. note. And then, and Mm -hmm. then, uh, what you do is after that you can appeal to the state 
board. Uh, I think it's of insurance or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, at this point, I can't remember. But uh, your your physician would obviously know because they they have to deal with this stuff. And so we took mm-hmm. the same letter and sent it to them. And it was also, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much within 24 hours, a, a firm nope. So. Mm-hmm. And their and their justification for the no is that there isn't enough evidence. Yeah, or they, like, like yeah, why they, are they saying no? They basically no? disagree with the evidence that. Or say, you know, it's, that's not enough to make me approve it. And yeah, it was, for me, it was $48,000. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, oh, you I'm, just, I'm just super fortunate around. that we had the resources because, you know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that had we not spent that money, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you right now. So, you know, in a yeah. case like that, yeah. I think... If if I didn't have the money, uh, you know, I would hope that I could do some kind of crowdsourcing, you know, friends and family kind of thing. I think that would be really your only right. option at that point. Although, I mean, if we're just talking about, you know, dollars and cents, it's so ironic to me in the sense that, like, obviously a recurrence and surgery and chemo it costs so much more yeah. than $48,000. It's like... When insurance doesn't pay for like a, a nicotine patch, but they'll definitely pay yeah, for like it, it, know, it is, lung it is really crazy. Surgery, it's you know, super crazy. Or you know, in, in the case of cervical cancer, it's very short at least now they're paying for HPV vaccinations. I mean, at least now getting down to the source exactly. to try and eliminate that, or at least at least nowadays you can get colonoscopies right. and completely prevent getting colon cancer. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely craziness on there. So, all right. So you were denied, but you said mm-hmm. that you wanted to do it anyway. And if you paid for it, it could be done. Um, and yeah, yeah. And it sounds like know, that's what you did. Right. And what, ha- and what, I think ha- there were six, six cycles. And-, and I think my cycles were usually three weeks apart. Cause I think it had, a nader of like 10 uh-huh. days or something like that. And for those that are listening for maybe one of the first times, a nader is when your, um, your immunity dips to its all time low. Cause it kills stuff, right? When you take, when you take the, um, when you mm-hmm. take the chemo and then you have to recover your white blood cells and your immunity level enough to get basically recover enough so that they can make you sick again. <laughs> so, um, so I went through, right. so that would right. be three times three, nine weeks. And then after, after the third dose, they said, well, let's get a scan and see how effective this treatment is. And went in and got a PET scan. And miracle, it was mm-hmm. completely no evidence of disease. And it's remained that way, knock on wood, for, mm-hmm. um, where am I now, 11, 11 years in remission. Yeah, so that's it is. Pretty, it is. And that, you know, we right. went ahead I mean, and did the final yeah. three treatments, you know, just to kind of and take that too. <laughs> Don't you come uh-huh. back? Don't let the screen door <laughs> <Yeah>. hit you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty fantastic. So the Avastin, how is that? Is yeah, that a, yep, it's a an IV, IV drug. drug so I, I got it at the same time as yeah. I got the um, yeah. the cisplatin. Mm-hmm. Cisplatin and no, yeah. So, 
what happened when when you got to know evidence of disease? What how has it's, life been? It's been good. I mean, it's certainly been different. Um, as as you guys know, there's all these treatments have side effects, right? So um, I don't think I had so mm-hmm. many side effects from the or lasting side effects from the chemo, but definitely from the surgeries and the radiation. So I have. Um, you know, cause they, they mm-hmm. took lymph nodes when they do, um, uh, surgeries cause they want to check for evidence of, um, cancer, uh, migrating through the lymph nodes next to wherever your cancer was. Right. And the issue there is when they take those lymph sure, nodes sure. that it, your, your lymph from your extremities, wherever, depending on where the lymph nodes are that they, they, they harvested, um, can be affected in the long term, And especially for me in the abdomen, also having had radiation that affected things. So I have what I, what I lovingly refer to as my cankles. So, uh, you know, especially when it's hot, mm-hmm. my feet will swell up. Um, you know, I, I have a lot, I have effectively mm-hmm. the same kind of symptoms as IBS because, my intestines have been so damaged. I have to be super careful with what I eat. And, um, for people who maybe are in the same, um, uh, situation that I am where they have trouble with intestines or, um, with eating and all of that after, after having received treatment, um, I went on something called a FODMAP diet, F-O-D-M-A-P. And they meet with a nutritionist, I, I took way too long to do this and it made such a difference because here I am trying to work and then you eat something and then you have to run to the bathroom or you're just, you know, having pain while you're trying to be in a meeting. And if I'd known this earlier, how to eat better so that I had fewer symptoms, I would have been so much better off. But definitely if you're having those kinds of troubles, this nutritionist was fabulous fabulous. And you learn that all these foods that I'm eating, Mm -hmm. like garlic and onion and broccoli and cauliflower and, um, Brussels sprouts, all these things that I loved were, were absolutely wreaking havoc. Salad can't eat salad. And, and, uh, so if I, once I, it's not as fun eating, I'll, I'll grant you that, but you try and get a little bit more creative with the ingredients you can have. Mm -hmm. But, but that's been a lasting effect. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Obviously, there's, um, you know, just physical scarring and all of that um, has been a lasting effect. But for the most part, um, you know, you just start learning to live with those limitations. Okay, so, you know, I, uh, another, um, it'll be, it's personal, but, you know, we're talking about personal stuff here is um, incontinence. So um, I've had so many surgeries and so much sure. radiation that... Um, my my doctor is just astounded that I can poop and pee on my own. He, you know, he says, given everything mm-hmm. we've done, I can't believe yeah. that you are that with it. But, you know, granted, I can't do sports now where I move mm-hmm. because, you know, I, if, if I move sharply, you know, I'll pee my pants. But, yeah, you know, but you just kind of learn to yeah. live with it. It's like, okay, you know, so I, I can't do that. What can I do? Well, I can walk, you know. I can walk my dog. I can do mm-hmm. this, that, and the other thing. Um, but, okay, so I'm not going to play tennis or I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know, move too quickly <laughs> without, without being prepared. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. 
And so I'm curious because you lived every six months to a year, like waiting for the other shoe to drop. So and now it's been 11 years. So what, at, do you still like hold your breath I, I or are you like kind of feeling closed. like that chapter um, is closed? I, I think after, after okay. the last one, when the, when the, when I had no evidence of disease, I think that first year was a little kind of tentative. Um, I, I, I dared to hope that this was it. Um, and so we were doing scans, I think at sure. that point, every six months. And, um, and then it started after a couple years, it's like, okay, I think we can do every year now. Right. And, and I think we did every year until 10 years, I think. And, um, yeah, so you just kind of go and you, you'd kind of hold your breath and, and now I just, I, you know, I, 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 don't really think about it. I don't really, I don't really feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be around. I'm, I'm actually making plans and, you know, I was able, my son got married, which was, you know, that was one thing that I, I had always thought when you, when you, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you wanted to live for though. it, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh-huh. I, I'm thinking about where, where are we going to go? Are we going to travel? Um, making plans uh-huh. and yeah, that's pretty, yeah. yeah, that's pretty great. So, um, that sounds, I mean, it, it's an amazing journey. You went through a lot more difficulty in treatment than, than I did. I think Shay's Trump probably not, I mean, Shay's got more treatment than I did, but, uh, um, no, I think Cindy wins. You know, it, it should be the win. Weeble so, Award, so we'll give right? You an award for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'll but, put it on uh, the freaking you know, flyer card. Yeah. Really, in my journey, it was having the support, having a positive attitude. Because I, I also am a firm believer that if you if you think the worst, the worst can happen. There, there is something about this whole mind body connection. And, and I, I ha I know this will sound yes. a little wah, 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 cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scientific mind. Right. But I had some really weird spiritual stuff happen, mm-hmm. you know? And I, 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 um, mm-hmm. I was meditating with my therapist and well, I was trying to, and I forget if it was the second or third time, you know, one of those times where I was like, Oh my God, I'm, you know, paralyzed with fear and uh she had these tibetan bells and i'm you know i'm not i wasn't into this before but i tell you there's something about it um that rings true uh-huh. now so she rang this bell and it was mm-hmm. like this lightning bolt went through my head and i was instantly in this meditative state mm-hmm. and i had i had a voice in my head and i'm not on any drugs or anything like that but i i had a voice in my head and it was answering uh-huh. a question. I was, you know, what was going around in my mind at the time is, uh, I think I was still waiting for my results and I, I was pretty sure I had it. And I was like, you know, do I have it? Do I not have it? Am I going to be okay? Um, and the voice in my head, and it was a male voice, interestingly enough, said either way. So the answer, what, the answer was whether you have mm-hmm. it, whether you don't have it, either way, you're going to be hmm. okay. 
And so, so I finished my meditation feeling a lot yeah. better, right? And, and then my therapist stopped and she said, you know, I don't normally say this because, you know, it's, it's people, you know, I'm a therapist, right? But she said, you are surrounded by spirits, angels, entities, whatever you want to say, and they're yelling at me to give you a message. And I said, oh, that's weird. Well, what is it? And she said, they're, they're yelling either way. Oh, <gasps> does that just give yeah. you chills? No. Yeah. Oh, I have goosebumps yeah. right now. I have goosebumps too. Yeah. Oh my and, God, Cindy, um, that's incredible. She also, she wasn't supposed to, but she came to me in the hospital when I was there for the month and I was having such a hard time. And, um, apparently I asked for her, I don't remember this, mm-hmm. but she came in and I think I remember telling you, I was, uh, I was in so much pain. She came in and she laid hands on me and it was the only time, no drugs, no nothing that I, the pain went away. So there's, there's, mm-hmm. there is something about a mind body connection, whether or not yeah. you believe in that kind of thing. Um, I think that keeping a positive outlook is going to only supplement and help the treatments that you're getting, right? If you, if you think you're going to die, if you think you're going to hmm. get sick, probably, you know, you're not helping your body out at all. And I always maintained right. this positive attitude that, you know what, we're, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna succumb to this and we're going to get through this and, Things are going to, yeah, either way, things are going to be okay. And either and way. I, I really think that had something to do with it. Um, really. <laughs> but I think, but I think what, what you're saying is also important around like surrendering to, you know, yeah. a positive attitude, but not being passive, right? Like you, you you have to focus on things are going to work out, but not because I'm just going to sit here and let it work out, but I'm going to go and do my own research and advocate for my own drugs. And so it's not uh, letting, letting right. go and letting right. God, you right. know, in a like passive way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I can't think of a better place to stop. No, that's amazing. Well, thanks than, for than having right me here. on. I mean, Thank you for way. sharing. Yeah. There's, there's one more thing I want to say is that, I, I, there, I kept having all, after all of, uh, after I went through all of this, I would keep running into people like sitting next to me on an airplane or, you know, in a restaurant or, cause I did a lot of tra- solo travel. So you end up sitting next to people and I, it was strange. Mm-hmm. I'd end up with people like somebody who had some, some person in their life that was going through cancer issues or the person themselves. And there were probably mm-hmm. six or seven people that I had really intense conversations with about just like this conversation I'm having with you and that at the end of it would say, wow, you really helped me. And so there's there, I don't know if there's some kind of guiding hand putting these people in your, in your path, but it's, it's really gratifying to be able to pass on, my experiences to other people and potentially have it help them. 
Absolutely. Well, that's that's why we're doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's a powerful story, and, and hopefully it'll inspire others, both in terms of attitude and, and self-advocacy. And, and when you've got something as difficult as what you had, um, not giving up and moving forward and doing the work to Well, it's find just so cool that you're doing this, Rick. And an that's why I was so excited when, when I saw the message pop up. <laughs> Well, thank you. Well, Shay, thank you. Thank Cindy, you both. Thank you. And, okay. Uh, Thanks, I'll get guys. to work on right. and publishing Bye. this episode. Great.